Today is a pretty cool Sunday, and I'm so glad all of you guys are here. It is the first of two Mission Sundays that we're going to be doing this year. Um, here at Calvary Church, we value three things, and we want to do those things with excellence. The first is know God by being present on Sunday mornings. Number two is loving each other by being involved in a church community in a small group. And number three is serving the world with every part of your life, personally, um, corporately, even financially. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today is that last one. Um, one of the ways here at Calvary Church we love serving the world is actually through the generous support of 34 global partners. Our partners do, yeah, it's awesome. Can I get, a, can I get an amen from anyone this morning? Those partners are quite incredible. They serve all over the world, some of them even in our backyards here in Lamont, in Lockport, in Joliet, in Chicago, offering shelter and rehabilitation to many people. Some of our partners are in places doing amazing things with refugees, working with the impoverished to teach them ways and skills that they can transform their communities. Some of our partners are even in places like the South Pacific, Latin America, and Africa, working with children so that they can have a better hope for tomorrow by teaching them spiritual skills, giving them education, and taking care of their physical needs. Some of our global partners are even in places many of us will never go to, like the Sahara and the Himalayas. And I just want to say thank you to all of you today who actually support those, those missionaries that take care of that financially because you are helping equip other people to do the work of the gospel. Because the work of the gospel demands, it demands, that we have compassion for all people, no matter their walk of life, no matter if they're in Lamont or in whatever village in the Himalayas that you can think of, which I don't know about you, but I was, I was there once and I can't remember a single village off the top of my head. Um, but this morning, if you've never given before, I would like to introduce you to Chuck and Wilma Lormis. And if you guys want to come up, Chuck and Wilma have the incredible ministry, really, of encouraging us and being advocates for missionaries worldwide to generate in a huge level of generosity. So this morning, as we hand it all over to them, I want to give you guys a big welcome from me and from Calvary Church. Uh, first of all, before we go any farther, uh, how many of you saw that, uh, that blue Ford Escape in the, in the parking lot with that banner stretched across it. That is our 2017 Speed the Light vehicle provided by the youth of the state of Illinois. And we are grateful. So thank you, Illinois youth, for your kindness, your generosity, your support, and your heart for missions. And uh, uh, we, we made a promise to Eric Hoffman that we would put a lot of miles on that vehicle. We've had it since the end of January. We're up to 9,000-plus miles, so we're trying to keep our promise. Anyway, praise God. You know, I, I spent uh, 36 years as a pastor, and uh, um, I was married for 41. Um, my first wife passed away about three years ago on a mission trip to Huancayo, Peru. I was asked to come and speak to a pastor's conference and, uh, and she started feeling ill. Uh, we had to go all the way up in the Andes Mountains up to the top, 15,000-plus feet, and then back down into the city of Huancayo. One of the other ladies on our team also began to feel ill, so we thought, well, they're just having some altitude sickness. They'll be fine in the morning. 
the other lady was. Uh, my wife, Sue, she woke up feeling very dizzy, asked me if I would help her to get from the, the bedroom to the, to the bathroom in the hotel. She took about three steps, collapsed in my arms, had a massive heart attack and died. That quick, she was gone. And, uh, and that changed everything. Um, through God's grace and his mercy, uh, beauty comes from ashes. And, uh, and over the course of the next couple of years, God brought Wilma and I together. And uh, um, things changed. Some of you may not recognize my name, Wilma Lormis, but it was Wilma Schneider. And my first husband and I, we were missionaries to the country of Madagascar. That's the big island off the east coast of Africa. The animals really don't go around singing, you got to move it, move it, okay? <laughs> they don't do that. But it was a great place to serve. We saw God do amazing things. People were saved, healed, delivered, called into the ministry. We taught in the Bible school, did some social work as well. And it was just amazing what God did. But unfortunately, during our third term, my first husband made some poor choices, and we were asked to come home from the field. And at that time, I was just a very broken woman. I wasn't sure what God was going to do with our family, with the ministry, with anything. It was just a lot of questions and no answers. Well, we ended up transitioning back to the States, and my first goal was to help my girls navigate through high school and middle school in this traumatic time in our lives. And sadly, my first husband made, continued to stay in those poor choices, and we ended up divorcing two years later. Well, once I got my kids through high school, then Jesus, in his mercy and grace, got me back into missions, because that's been my heart all along. So I ended up working with One Hope, um, and it was formerly called Book of Hope, where I traveled all over the world, leading teams and doing community transformation projects, and just, uh, just doing missions, and it was wonderful. It was a great season. And then the Lord asked me about five years ago if I would transition back to the U.S. Well, for a world missionary, that's a pretty big ask. It's like, what do you mean, Jesus? And, but I ha I've always known I'm called to Jesus first. He tells me where I go, not me. So I said, okay, Lord. Well, I ended up in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was working with a missional school, uh, teaching kids who they are in Christ and how they fit into the Great Commission, whatever God has called them to. And so I was doing that when... Jesus brought Chuck and I together. We've known each other for 20 years, um, but it was uh, just as God started bringing us together and it was clear in our minds that he was bringing us together, my biggest question was, what are you going to do with this career pastor and this career missionary? And we have a joke that we've created that says, what do you get when you cross a career missionary with a career pastor? I'll let Chuck answer that. Well, the answer is you get mad. The name of our ministry is literally MAD, Missions Awareness and Development. We saw a need in our movement. Here in the Assemblies of God, we realized that there are 21% of our churches nationwide that give absolutely nothing in a year to missions. Another 16% that give less than $1,000 a year to missions. That comes out to roughly $84 a month if you want to do the math. I could, if I wanted to, list 100 people that I know that give more than $1,000 a year to missions. Many of them are probably sitting in this room. But that's our target. We want to change those statistics. We want to go to those churches, and we want to help them build up missions in the local church to where they begin to send out missionaries, to where they begin to do what God has called all of us to do, and that's to reach the lost. And so... Our whole focus is on going to those churches. Now, we've been itinerating for the last year. We're done with that part now. Uh, by the way, uh, this church supports us. Thank you very much. 
in, <laughs> and one of the biggest reasons churches that are struggling in the area of missions don't ask for help is because they're struggling across the board in every area and they can't afford to ask for help. They can't afford what it would cost to bring somebody in or bring a team in or whatever. But we've raised our budget. We can say to that pastor that's struggling, don't worry about the cost. There is none. And we can go into that church and we can work with that church and we can help them to begin to see that they can do their part. We have an assessment that we've created that we give that pastor and we have him do a self-analysis of his church or her church as the case may be. And it covers only missions, prayer emphasis for missions, uh, bringing missionary speakers into the church, giving to missions, whether or not they are involved in a missions uh, convention of some sort, whether or not they, they do faith promise giving, all these different areas of missions, only missions. And after they do the analysis, then they send it to us. And we go over it and we get with them on the phone and we talk with them about that. And we say, okay, now what are your strengths? What are you doing good? What are you doing right? And then after that, we look at what they're not doing so right things that need improvement, and then we begin to work with them. Where would you like to be a year from now in this area? Where would you like to be five years from now? And we begin to, to work with them on casting vision for their church. And then once that's done, we help them develop a strategy to get them from where they are now to where they'd like to be, doing their part for the kingdom of God. And it's a wonderful ministry, and, and God is opening some, some wonderful doors for us. And, and so that's what we're looking at uh, in our ministry. Today, we're here to talk about money. Okay? Now, I know the topic of money is kind of the elephant in the room, right? Well, church is only after my money, you know. Think about it. Everywhere you look, they're after your money. Telemarketers. How many of you have calls from telemarketers? You know? And yeah, they're after your money. Organizations that do telethons on TV and things like that, they're after your money. Well, God's after your money. He's after all of you. You know, the, the number one thing that Jesus talked about in his ministry was the kingdom of God. The number two thing he talked about, more than heaven and hell combined, was money. It must be important, but Jesus didn't talk about money in the aspect of how much money can I amass in my lifetime. Jesus always approached it from how much I can give away. To the rich young ruler, he said, sell what you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. You see, it wasn't about how much he could get, it's what he could give. And so we're going to talk about giving today. And, uh, you know, I make no bones about that. You know, uh, they say missionaries talk about two things, winning souls and collecting money. And, uh, and that's true. You know, well, we're guilty. <laughs> so having said that, we'll move on. And uh, uh, we, want to, we want to share just a little bit about how your church can be better involved in giving, okay? We're going to begin in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded. Wow, that's powerful. And then in Romans chapter 10, I want to read a portion of Romans chapter 10 this morning. And uh, amid all the things I have, Bible here. Fortunately, there are these incredible things called bookmarks. And, uh, in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, yeah, beginning at verse 13, 
Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom whom they have not uh, heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody's got to be sent. The sending part is where the church comes in, sending out missionaries. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the, the, the process of sending. Well, the reality is, in order to send, it takes money, doesn't it? How many of you have gone on a vacation? Now, I'm going to not comparing missions with vacation. Let's just get that straight right now. <laughs> but how many have gone on vacation? Okay. Did you have to save up a little bit in order to do that? I don't know about you guys, but yeah, we sure do too. But we have fun when we go. Well, with missions as well, it costs money to do things. It costs money for you guys to have this church building, doesn't it? to have the lights, to do the upkeep on the building, to have the staff, to do the programs and the evangelism that you do. So what we're going to talk about today really is a heart issue. Giving is a heart issue. It's really not a money issue. And I think that's why Jesus spent so much time talking about it, because he did say where our treasures, our heart will be also. It's a money issue. It's a heart issue. So my question to you is, does God have you? Does God have you, every part of you, your time, your talent, and your treasure? Does God have you? Will, will we do anything he asks? Will we do what he says, whether it means talking to a neighbor, talking to a waitress, talking to our coworker, or going on a mission trip, or doing something involving something here in the community? Will we do whatever it is he asks us to do? You have to see, as believers, he wants our time, our talent, and our treasure. He wants all of us. There are different types of giving, and the first type we're going to talk about is tithing. Tithing literally is just one-tenth. It's one-tenth of your income that is meant to be given to the place that feeds you, which would be your local church. So we're not looking for your one-tenth. We want you to give your one-tenth right here in the local church. That, that first part, that first fruits, comes to the local church. It enables you to carry out the mission that you do here. In Malachi 3.10... The Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, to see if I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to contain it. Isn't that just fun to think about? God says, test me. I don't know if you're in a, in a sticky place right now financially, but I tell you what, if you choose to begin to take that first step and say, I am going to begin to tithe, even though I don't see how it's going to happen, I guarantee you, you are going to begin to see God do miracles in your life. That's just who he is. And when we tithe, we say, my money belongs to God. My money belongs to God. You see, God, everything I have is not mine. I am just simply a steward of what God has given me. And so when he says, Wilma, I want you to pick up another missionary personally, or when he says, Wilma, I want you to give in this offering, or Wilma, I want you to give to that person over there, it's really not my money anyway. I am just a steward of what God has given me. So I begin to allow that money to be channeled through me to fulfill his kingdom purposes, and it begins with the tithe. So tithing is where every Christian should start. You know, I like to write. I like to write poetry. I like to 
I'd like to, well, I've written a book. It's out there on the table if you'd like to, to see it. Um, but I like to write things, and I've done this for years, and, and some of the things that I've written I, I'm very pleased with, very proud of, but uh, some of the things I wrote were kind of corny and kind of, you know, uh, just kind of out there. And years ago, probably, I don't know, 35 years ago, I, I was, I was uh, just praying one day, and these words popped into my head, and I, I, I wrote them down uh, infamously, I guess. And uh, anyway, it, it has to do with money, okay? And, and, and so I'm going to sing this little ditty for you, and it, it may sound real corny, and that's okay. It probably is real corny. But it's one of those things that probably later on today you won't be able to get out of your head. You know how that happens. And <laughs> but it goes like this. In God we trust. In God we trust. And if we want the victory, then it's a must. Well, I think it's rather funny that we put our trust in money when our money says, in God we trust. You think about that. We, we do. You know, we want to make sure we got enough money for this, we got enough money for that, and, and we list off the things that we have to, have to give to, the things we want to give to. But in essence... The truth is still there. We, we put our trust in the money, but the money says in God we trust. Do we really trust in God? And when we talk about giving, we talk about the progression of giving in our lives, we have to realize that God doesn't expect us to stay at one place in our giving. Okay. Now, on all the, the seats, there's a little card that's got a ladder on it, and that's why this ladder is up here, by the way. And it's called a generosity ladder. And on that ladder, there are levels of giving. The first one is the initial giver. Now, the initial giver is the, the person that, for the first time ever, puts something in the offering. Might have been a dollar, five, or ten, whatever. But it was the first time. We all had a first time, you know. Uh, and so that offering plate went by, and you, you thought, I'm going to give it, you know. And, uh, and, and so then you thought, boy, that, that was good. I gave in the offering today, you know. And uh, then the, the next step on the ladder is a consistent giver. That's a person that, that gives regularly. They, you know, every week the offering plate goes by, you, you throw a couple bucks in there, whatever. But you do it consistently. It becomes a habit. Every week you, you, you put your, your money in the offering, all right? Well, that goes on for a while, and you begin to grow in Christ and things, and, and all of a sudden you become what's called a proportional giver, and that's where the tither fits in. Giving proportionately. Tithing is 10%. So we give 10% of our income. We make $100, we give 10 We make $1,000, we give 100 Well, that sounds good. Anyway, that's the third level of giving. The fourth level is called the extravagant giver. The extravagant giver, now this is the person that not only gives their tithe, but now they begin to give above their tithe. Special project in the church or a missionary, whatever it is. But it's above that tithe that's saying, you know, I'm going to give extra. God's blessed me. I'm going to give extra. We, we had a, a, a meeting um, Friday night in Peoria, and the, the gentleman that spoke uh, is a missionary. He's a campus pastor and lives by faith, prays in his income every month. And literally gives away half of everything he gives. He's become extravagant in his giving because he's not only giving the tithe, he's giving above that tithe. We set goals for how much we want to give as a, as a couple beyond our tithe, considering other missions. We can't, we can't go into a church like this 
and ask people to give to missions if we don't give to missions. And so we have missionaries that we support. We have organizations, Christian uh, ministries that we support. Because we can't ask you to give if we're not giving. That's hypocrisy. But becoming an extravagant giver. And then this last level, the legacy giver, is the person that provides for after they're gone. After they're gone. Leaving something behind for the work of God. Putting it in your will. Establishing a, a, a trust, whatever. But leaving behind a legacy of giving so that other people can see in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, don't lay up treasures here on earth where, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures that are in heaven where none of that can happen. The, the rust and the moth can't corrupt them. Thieves can't break in and steal. And he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That last verse I like to turn around a little bit. I like to say where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Now you're saying the same thing. Only if you turn the words around a little bit, your treasure's where your heart is, not your heart is where your treasure is. It allows the heart to lead and the treasure to follow. I believe that if our hearts are centered in Christ and in the work of Christ and in what Christ is doing in our lives and what Christ is doing around the world, then we're able to allow the treasures that we have to follow after the heart of God that he's placed within us. So where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And so that's what I want in my life. I want my heart to be so centered on Jesus that every, every bit of treasure, everything that I have, follows after that heart for Jesus. And I put the, the horse in front of the cart, so to speak. And as we step into that crossover from just being a proportional giver to an extravagant giver, that's when crazy things start happening. That's when fun things start happening. That's when you begin to see God move in ways you never thought possible. It's when you begin to say, not how much do you want me to keep, but how much do you want me to give away? We begin to start shifting all of our priorities. We begin to start shifting and seeing things through different lenses. I'm not here, and it's not all about me. It's about his kingdom. It's about seeing other people, tribes, tongues, and nations come into the kingdom of God. And it becomes a very exciting place to live. Um, we're going to talk about a faith promise. What is a faith promise? Well, a faith promise would fall in that extravagant area. It's giving beyond your tithe. So it's above your tithe. And it's giving as God enables you. And that's the vehicle that the Assemblies of God has chosen to use, most churches use, as a way of supporting missionaries. So we look and we begin to, we begin to pray. And I, liked, I looked on your website and was looking at it, and I liked how it said last week even, begin to pray about what God would ask you to give, to invest into the kingdom of God. And so it is a joint venture between you and God. It's a sacred act, a spiritual agreement between you and God. It's a joint venture. It's kind of like being on a big scavenger hunt. We just had Easter, right? And we just had a scavenger hunt for our grandkids. They were um, three and one, so you can imagine it was quite interesting. The three-year-old got it. The one-year-olds, they didn't. They just kind of grabbed one, and our, our grandson Jonah just liked opening and watching the jelly beans fall on the ground. That's all he was enjoyed doing. But, but a scavenger hunt. 
you go looking, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to fulfill this? What are you going to do through me? It's beyond us. And that's when it starts getting fun. We become a funnel of the funds God gives us versus a reservoir. We're not just amassing it for ourselves, but we're saying, how can I impact another nation? How can I impact another person's destiny by using my finances? Let's look at 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And here we have the story of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. And he tells King Ahab of Israel that there is going to be no rain happening for a while because the Israelites have been so sinful. So he's just saying, there's not going to be any rain for a while, just letting you know that. And so then the Lord tells him to go by this brook, and God supernaturally provides for him every night and every morning, bringing him bread and meat through a bird, a raven. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? And then he drinks from the water that's at the brook. But then the scripture tells us that eventually that the brook dries up. And so then it says in verse 4, um, God tells him that the brook is going to dry up, and so then he tells him that he's going to go now. In verse 7 it says, Sometime later the, drip, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water, of, um, water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, remember, it's a drought, so going and getting water for this stranger was a pretty sacrificial act in itself. But then he says, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. This is the widow's response. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's not a very exciting story, is it? And here Elijah's saying, make me some bread. And she's saying, look, buddy, it's sacrificial enough just for me to give you a cup of water, and now you're asking me for bread? I don't get this. She says, I just have this little handful of flour and this little bit of olive oil, and you're asking me to give it to you? And, you know, sometimes that's how we are, aren't we? God's saying, I want you to give the tithe. And you're like, I just have this little bit of handful of flour and this little bit of oil, and you're asking me to begin to tithe to the church? How can that be? How does that work? But then God doesn't stop there. He, he wants all of us. He wants to show himself so faithful. And if we will begin to step out, we will see the miraculous in our lives. God has, he has shown me the miraculous in my life so many ways, and financially including uh, including finances. So anyway, Elijah says to her in verse 13, don't be afraid. Boy, how many of us are living in fear right now with finances? Things aren't looking real steady, are they? People are losing their jobs. The economy is, you name it, it's up and down all around. If we just look at that, we could, we could go crazy just looking at where that is at. Are we living in fear over finances? I want to tell you this morning that God is saying to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We don't have to live in fear of finances. When we allow God to tell us what to do and how to manage, we will have everything we need. So he says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, 
Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Elijah is saying, make it for me first. That's a pretty audacious request, isn't it? I like how in the passage it says God commanded a widow to provide, but the fact is that widow didn't know it until Elijah said, I want you to provide for me. Well, I believe this morning God is, is turning on the light bulb for some of you because he is saying to you, I want you to provide for me. Not for me, for me. God is saying, I want you to begin to provide for my kingdom, for my priorities, for my things, and I want you to do it first. Whoa, that's kind of radical, isn't it? It's kind of crazy. But when, we will, when we're willing to step out, just like this, this widow, I don't know what she saw in Elijah, but she probably figured, well, if we just make it and, and, and do it our, the way I'm going to do it, we're just going to die anyway. So I might as well take my chances and trust the man of God. I might as well take my chances and make this bread for him first and see what his God might do. She wasn't even a believer yet. Here we are believers, at least the majority of us, I would imagine. What is God saying to you this morning? What is he saying to you? It's really just about obedience. He'll speak different things to different people. For some, it just might be, I want you to begin. I want you to begin right now becoming a consistent giver. Or I want you to begin giving that 10%. I remember when, during that time of transition um, from a missionary, and I came back, I didn't have a job. Okay, I lost my job as a missionary. I had two, I had two girls I needed to take care of. I had no money. And God provided a part-time job. I had a part-time job making 10 bucks an hour, providing for two girls. And I, I'm just like, I was sitting in a missions convention just kind of like this. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Wilma, I want you to give $50 a month. That might as well have been 500 about that time. And I said, God, I'm, What? I, Wilma, I want you to give $50 a month. I want you to pledge $50 a month. Again, that's the faith promise. In my own finances, I didn't have it. That's the reality. I didn't have an extra dime, and I'm not lying to you. That season in my life, I counted every single dime. We did not do luxuries. We hardly ever got ice cream. We hardly ever did any of those fun, frivolous things. I counted every penny I had. And God is saying, I want you to commit to give $50 a month. I said, okay, Lord, because it's you speaking, and I know your voice, I'm going to obey you, but I sure don't know how this is going to come. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I can't tell you how it happened, but I can tell you that every month I never missed that $50 pledge. And every month, me and my girls were taken care of, even though I didn't have a full-time job yet. And I can tell you for seven months, God had, during that time, God told me to buy a house. I bought a house. How that happened? Again, that was a miracle of God. And I remember saying, God, if you are not in this, I am so up a creek. You know, I just knew I was in trouble. But I knew God was speaking, so I did it. And for six months, I did not miss a mortgage payment. And I don't know how it happened. And I was working part-time. It wasn't until January of that following year that I finally got a full-time job that provided for me and my daughters. But I never lacked giving that faith promise, and I never lacked. I'll tell you, it was tight. I'm not saying that it was, you know, all of a sudden the floodgates came open and I just was able to just do what I want. No. 
I had to manage. I had to be smart. But I never missed. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to start living and seeing the miracles that this widow did, start seeing that you have to take that step of trust. You have to get yourself out of the driver's seat. You have to get yourself out and say, God, I am going to trust you. I am going to trust you. And so I just want to leave a little acronym with you as we're finishing up here. It's called ROT, R-O-T, ROT. God gives us revelation, and I believe this morning God is giving revelation to some of you this morning. It's like, oh, the light bulb's coming on. Like, wow, I never even thought of this before. And maybe for some of you, God's stretching you to bigger places or, or stretching your faith to do more. And that revelation is coming to you. But you know what? You're not going to see anything happen unless you do something else. You take that step of obedience. And as you take that step of obedience to whatever he's asking you to do, then you're going to see trust start to grow and you're going to see transformation take place like you only dreamed about. You see, if we have that revelation and we take that step of obedience, we will see transformation happen and our trust will begin to increase. So maybe you're thinking, how can I start out? Maybe you can start out with just maybe an hour's wage. Just looking at that, an hour's wage. What would God have for me? But the first thing you want to do, you want to pray, God, what is God saying to me? You want to pray. Secondly, you want to commit. You want to obey and say, okay, God, I'm committing. I'm drawing that line in the sand. I'm going to do whatever it is you're asking me to do. And then you begin to look. That's where the scavenger hunt comes in. You begin to look and see how God is going to provide and fulfill this promise that he's asked you to do. And you're just being obedient. You're just being a channel of funds. And you're going to see God do some crazy things. And I want you to testify to the pastors when that happens. And then just be faithful as God enables you to do. And you will begin to see God do some pretty crazy things.